Fuck what they talk about. I've been getting my cake and running wild since a little child. Yeah. Getting it every day, I'm working sun up till the sun down. Yeah. I'm getting it every day, these niggas hating, trying to see how I do this shit. What's up, guys? This is Jake Carlisle, and welcome to the Capital Gains Podcast, where we share our experiences on how to flip and invest in real estate, the stock market, and all things fitness. Join us as we dive deep into the world of self-development and get ready to make some capital gains. Hi, guys. Um, welcome to what we're going to call Market Monday. I'm joined by Sam and Zach. What's up, boys? What's what up, up, what up? They're going to come bring some some big value to you guys and, and give you some good knowledge for the, the outlook of the, the real estate and financial markets for the next next year or so. And uh, so without further ado, I'll let them kind of take take the round because we were already chopping it up before this. <laughs> and I was like, hey, well, wait, 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 let's let's let, let's let the podcast listen to it. Awesome. So just let them know kind of where we were right before we started, right before we were talking about what we were talking about. Yeah, I think we can hop into that. So um, we're talking about the um, kind of variance and market breadth. What we mean by that is there's been a big difference in how some companies have performed versus others, particularly in the, in the tech space. So uh, Zach and I were just saying that there's some of these top tier companies, uh, your largest market caps like Facebook, Amazon, Google, that have performed really well over the last few weeks. But then at the same time, you have a lot of the more speculative companies that people have loved to trade or invest in uh, over the past 18 months, like Teladoc, PayPal, Zoom, etc., cetera, uh, that have had some pretty significant pullbacks. So that's kind of where we were and just looking generally at the market outlook for the next few months. Yeah, no, kind of adding on to what Sam just said, we were talking about how everything right now is kind of being held up. If you're just looking at like major indices and see like, oh, everything's continuing to go up. Maybe it's a little slower right now than it was the last week and a half when everything was just on a rocket ship. But if you remember back in February, when we felt like the end of the world was coming, I honestly forget what it was. Was this, were we just scared of inflation or like some, something silly like this that just kind of got in like yields or something stupid like that? Yeah, that was when yields really took a move up. So they were consolidating between like on the 10 year 1.25 to 1.35 and they broke out to 1.5, 1.6. You just have the market, you know, that's pricing in um risk adjusted prices uh for these com- these highly speculative growth companies as the fed kind of takes the punch bowl away right <laughs> they're taking that yeah. that party juice that is qe away from or quantitative easing all this money printing in low rates you know the market's pricing that in saying hey, hey like we may have gotten a little ahead of ourselves here the the whole reason i brought up february though was because what we're seeing now is something slightly similar where the companies that Sam mentioned, like the big five FANG stocks, whatever you want to refer to the, the largest holdings in the S and P in NASDAQ, those are kind of carrying everything up. And back in February, what we saw was like the most speculative investments took these hits and trailed off from the bullish market. And it would use companies like a SoFi or like more smaller cap companies, but they're still not like something you can see or like a, a penny stock or something that's like a, a waste of money to throw at. But now you're seeing companies like PayPal and Square that we've become more accustomed to as of thinking as like a, almost like a blue chip company, like we would something like a Apple or Microsoft for a tech company. But in reality, like what we were saying was those, like that kind of sentiment didn't really come about until the last 18 months, which was when the punch bowl was right under our nose. So yeah. Yeah, and for, for some context, you have Amazon almost made all-time highs on Friday. It pulled back, but right near all-time highs. Apple made all-time highs. Google's right up there. Um, Facebook pulled back a bit, mostly to you know more headline, more political stuff. But as those companies are, are right up there at the top, you have companies like this. This really goes to um, the idea that the crappiest companies have pulled back the most. And then you have other companies like Zach was saying that we're seen kind of as blue chip type companies. Yes, very growthy, but within the growth area, pretty, pretty solid. So companies like PayPal down below their high down 37%, Twitter down 
Pinterest down 50%, Roku 51%. And then as you, so those are all companies that in the growth space have kind of been come to seeing as like second tier blue chip, if you will. Really companies, but not your Apples or Amazons. Then as you get farther out on the speculative um, wing, you have companies like uh, Peloton, Zillow down 71%, Chegg down 76%, um, Lemonade down 71%, right? So that's pretty significant. If you held those companies it's and it's in your hedge fund book, um, you're looking pretty damn bad right now because the market's at all-time highs and you're down significantly. I feel like what you're describing too just like is a perfect snapshot of kind of how the attitude has been towards in the market towards the last like year or whatever, where you get too excited about a growth company too fast and all of a sudden it's become acceptable to trade at like 20, 25 in past like prices where that just doesn't even make sense. So many things that could happen, like we were saying earlier, where like market risk itself, like like you were saying, with interest rates going up or something like that. But then aside from that, like just in general, like from a macroeconomic perspective, like anything could happen where anything that you're pricing and never mind competition or something. Um, but the question I was going to ask you was, do you see a situation where um, since we're getting towards the end of the year, we start to see tax loss harvesting? And so if we start to see a more bearish sentiment in the market, people are gonna sell their more speculative investments for a loss and something where what this kind of divergence we're seeing now becomes even more extreme because people are saying, okay, let me sell this. I think the economy because of all this money printing and stuff has, we're gonna go into some sort of like a contraction period. And then, so they move all their money into more stable things. Yeah, I think that's a great point. So there's two aspects of this that accelerate the dynamic that you're talking about where people are moving away from speculative into something more stable. Uh, so one is the tax loss harvesting aspect of it. So people want to get these losers out before the end of the year and that money has to go somewhere. Money goes where it's treated. So when the cycle is accelerated, there's more people moving into these stable names. So they're going up. So the money's being treated better there. So more money goes into them. So it's a virtuous cycle there. Conversely, for the companies that are being sold off, more people want to be out of them because there's more selling pressure. Money's not being treated well there. So it moves out. Um, so that's one dynamic. That's more from uh, the retail side of the also have a technical market dynamic where hedge funds, um, large mutual funds, they don't want to have losers or books going to the end of the year. So at the end of the year, they're getting rid of all their losers um, because it just looks bad. And whenever they put out their Q4 reports, they go, oh, look at all these winners we have on our book, right? Versus I've got Chegg that's down 71%. And, you know, I they just don't want to get fired, but it's self-preservation. Look at their motivation. So then they get rid of their losers and they go into more stable things uh, or add more to their winners. So I tell you guys, you know, in our chat about this all the time, when we're in a market that has momentum, you want to find the plays that have momentum, right? You don't want to pick from the bottom. So when you're going through more of a recovery, you want to find names that have had a, had a big correction and look, when we're trading especially, look for those technical support areas. But when we're in a, a market that has momentum because of that dynamic where people are selling their losers and buying winners, you don't want to buy the losers because you're just buying a falling knife. Yeah, you can get lucky sometimes and it'll reverse for you and be good. But generally in this type of market, it's going to continue um, to move higher for those names that are winning. Yeah, totally. Tesla. Tesla. I said Tesla is a great example of that. Yeah. I feel like it's all about time horizon too. If you want to, if you're not talking about investing your money and you're looking to do place trades that you have either like a swing outlook or intraday outlook on, go ahead, try, try and take some bets on some of the, like what you're talking about, like bottom of the barrel things that have more potential, but higher risk factor. But if you're looking for a place to park your money, then it's, I agree with you. Like even when COVID hit, you could have, you didn't have to be a smart investor to, to put your money somewhere good. You could have looked at Apple, Amazon, just those two alone, Microsoft, like any company like that and said, wow, these are down like 
50 plus percent right now, probably a good time to buy some. So I feel like one thing is just like remembering your time horizon and just like honestly doing things that are very, very simple. Like don't overthink it. Yeah, I would agree. And don't, don't get caught up in the hype and stuff. And, and also you need to remember that if you see a stock that's at $200, right, let's say, and you're like, man, that, that thing's pretty expensive. And then it drops to $100. You're like, oh man, it's cheap now. Well, the problem is if you buy it at $100 and it goes down to 50, you're still down 50%. Yep. <laughs> and then you're like, oh, well, shit, I need to dollar cost average this thing or I need to put more money in it, you know? But it's really a steal now and you put a bunch of money in it at $50. It can still drop to 25 and then you're down another 50% <laughs> on that additional money. My point here is that just because something is quote unquote cheap or cheaper than it was, it's all about perspective. Doesn't mean it's a good buy right now. Uh, yeah, I always try to understand the perspective of like uh, towards a company based on the like, chart, honestly, in a way. Like whenever I go look at a stock that I'm going to buy and hold for a swing or for an investment, I look at it, I'm like, okay, yeah, we're down from using PayPal as an example, because that's what I'm looking at right now. It's like, okay, yeah, we got to 312 twice from without any context. You look at the chart, both times we hit that number, the incline there was extremely fast, except like quickly accelerating, which signals to me like, okay, this probably isn't a fundamental reason for this price action. This probably is like PayPal announced something crazy that got people really excited. And they were like, okay, yeah, it's 250, 270, whatever. Like these are cheap, cheap, cheap. Like people get excited and then there's people like selling off quick. But like when I read a chart, I'm looking at like, I almost go for like a line of best fit rather. Yeah. And like, just try to always remember why we see these large spikes in things. Yeah. And I, I think, back to your point on time horizon it does make a big difference because you can buy something and understand the technical aspects of it and have a short-term trade like for example i told you guys i i got those paypal lottos this is what i thought was, i got those paypal lottos on thursday night to swing into friday right and i got them because it was close to that 200 support level from a chart standpoint and it was a super bullish options flow now PayPal was down like 3% on Friday, but I came out break even on them because I understood because when the market first opened, it popped and I could have been up, you know, 60, 70%. I just didn't get out in time. Um, but still, the, it was a short-term trade and I, I didn't lose money on it, even though the trend broke. And that's just understanding that it's a very short-term horizon and knowing how to trade around that. Now, if I had bought a ton of shares, I would have been in trouble, <laughs> right? Because it was right there at support. So. Um, I think to your point, it makes a big difference in the time horizon and the style you're trading as well. Yeah. And one other thing I wanted to add to what you were saying earlier, when you were talking about like more like how you think of price in your head, where like 200 is expensive, but once you go back down to 100, the climb to 200 doesn't like 200 seems now expensive again rather than cheap when you bought it up there. Yeah. I feel like another thing too, like PayPal, for example, you saw it hold that $200 level for like a few days. Because to me, what I've noticed is like those round numbers, people really have like some sort of like barrier in their head where they're like, okay, yeah. not going to go below 200, even like no matter how arbitrary that is. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Jake, we've been yapping. Yeah, you're good. I've got a question for you, Sam, um, I guess, and Zach. So I, I kind of know what, what the real estate market should um, or will do when, you know, interest rates rise based on different factors. Um, it's like, let's say, you know, interest rates rise and wages don't, um, which means rent doesn't. Um, in that case, you're going to see depressed prices because um, the yield just isn't there for investors because their, their payments go up, the cost of debt goes up, prices have to come down to, to um, compensate. And then, you know, if wages rise, rent rises, even even a, a small tick up in interest rates, if the rent or wages can stay there, um, you're going to you're going to see the prices, you know, they may drop a little, but they're they're kind of just going to stay stay where they are because the yield is the same. Right. Um, so I kind of want to want to know in the in the financial markets perspective, um, 
what should you be looking for in a in a higher interest rate environment um, to invest in if you're looking, I don't know, one, two, three years down the road and you don't want to be down 50% in the next six months? Yeah, great question. Um, so to give some context, for every 1% change in the 10-year yield, um, it affects pricing power for um, home purchasers by 10%. So if yields go up 1%, homes get 10% more expensive um, or the, the real actual purchasing power for homes is 10% less for people. Right. Right. And so they tend to move down the market, right? Because if you could afford a $500,000 home when interest rates are at 1.5%, well, now you can only afford a $450,000 home if it goes up by 1%. Yep. So that tends to taper some demand. I don't know if it's as big of an issue um, on the rent side because people, well, rents always follow home prices. That's really what, what drives rents up. It's not as much wages because people can just get squeezed on the wage side. The reality is if rents are higher because the landlords have to issue or have to um, make a percentage on it, uh, on that investment, if they're higher across the board, they're not going down even if people can't necessarily afford it. Because where are people gonna go? If home prices are expensive, they either have to rent or they have to wow. go buy a home. And if the home price is expensive, then it doesn't really matter. So where you would see a, uh, a problem for landlords is if the home market really started to slow down and started to ease more from a pricing standpoint. Now, I don't think it's, I think we still have a fairly long runway from that because before that really slows down, even if rates go higher, just because there's not much inventory on the market. Yeah. So what happened with homes from 2011 to 2017 is there was a massive amount of underdevelopment following the 2008 crisis. Because if you're a home builder, you were either out of business, super cautious, or unable to get a loan. There's yeah. not really <laughs> another alternative. Like banks don't want to give you money you probably don't want to take on the money because you just got bit in the ass yep. and, or your business is dead. And so there's just not a lot of home building that went on. And then you saw this dynamic with COVID where a lot of people moved outside of the city and they started buying homes. Plus you have a huge wave of millennials that are buying their first home, which will continue through the next two years. There's still millions that are, that are coming into that home buying phase. Uh, so I think the outlook is pretty strong. We're seeing the biggest acceleration in rent growth in 50 years. I mean, it's insane across all things from storage. Storage is a great place to be right now um, because they're raising rents drastically. Right. Um, pretty much any market, especially like kind of the middle tier market real estate. So for Texas, you know, your $300,000 to $500,000 home, really good markets to be in. And your lower tier will be a good market to be in as rates rise because people's purchasing power will be impacted. So I don't see a, all that to say or sum up, I don't see a big crash coming anytime soon just because you have too much demand and not enough supply. And it's going to hurt. That's what we see in the inflation numbers, right? CPI, 33% of it is rent. And we see inflation continuing to accelerate because uh, there's just not enough supply on the market. Yeah. Yep. That makes sense. And on the, what about like, so same thing for, for the stock market, like when it, when rates rise, what, what companies should you be looking at in a, a smaller or a, a higher interest rate environment? Yeah. So when inflation is accelerating, it, it depends on the company's ability to pass it on to consumers. So if you don't have the ability to raise your prices, but your input costs are going up. So if I'm a, Let's I'm say I sell. Tyson. Tyson's been a good example of this. Yeah. This last year they've been killing it because food prices have gone up like crazy. Right. See, they got to be able to pass those on, right? And so a lot of retail has done really well because, so you look at names like Capri, um, DBI, Dillard's, Macy's. A lot of these companies have done really well because they could pass that price on to the consumer. Um and they can raise their prices quickly, which then increases their margins. Right. Um, typically, it can be margin accretive. 
So we like companies that you can really pass pass on that price to consumer. We don't like companies that are locked into long-term fixed contracts where they don't have any ability to pass that on to the consumer. Um, it's also harder um, when rates are going higher to invest in speculative growth companies because they're dependent on cheap money to fuel their growth. Right. Most of them aren't profitable and they just need that. They need that capital in the form of debt to fuel their growth. Right. That makes sense. I, uh, that, that really does make sense. Cause like I was, I've, and this is not the same, but like I was talking to a lawyer, um, yeah, yeah, the other day and I was just asking him, Hey, what, what has, what has changed with inflation? Um, you know, for you, your costs and your prices. And I said, have you raised your prices at all? And he says, no, unfortunately. Um, and, but he said the input costs or, you know, his costs of running, running the business have increased. And he said, it's just, it's not good and not sustainable. And I was like, well, you might, you might raise, you, you might have to raise your rates. And he's already expensive. I mean, lawyers aren't cheap. Um, and so that's one of the things that's hard, but, you know, essentially it's going to have to happen. Um, when, when, when inflation is this, this crazy. I mean, yeah, the worst part is people have less purchasing power and then the people who are giving them the stuff are making less and need prices to go up. So I mean, it's just not to be technical. It's a, it's a shafting for everyone. Like no, <laughs> nobody wins. Like, But the wage cycle always has to follow. Like John Deere just gave raises to all their workers by a pretty significant amount. Um, because they weren't working there they weren't going to work <laughs> like no we need to make more money yeah and it's the american worker who's really gotten screwed by this central bank meddling um and i hate the fucking fed so let's put that on the record for all to hear facts and the fed um, they <laughs> listen what what people don't understand they, ha they have this narrative right they always have this this fucking narrative and so first it was there is no inflation then it was inflation's <laughs> transitory. And then it was, hey guys, inflation's actually good for you. And now it's literally the Fed, the dumbass St. Louis Fed today. Excuse my language, not safe for work. Um, the St. Louis Fed came out today and said, you know, it would be cheaper. They do these, they do these projections every year for how much your Thanksgiving meal is going to cost, right? And so they're catching a lot of shit because the Thanksgiving meal is going to cost a lot more this year because, huh, inflation. I know, it's crazy. It's crazy. Um, so they, they gave the price and they said, but if you eat soybeans instead of turkey, it's actually cheaper. It's like, since when am I taking dietary advice for the goddamn Federal Reserve? My favorite part about that was literally how they were like uh... – you get more nutrients per dollar when you buy soybeans. So buy soybeans and not turkey. And I was like, what, bro? Like, like what are you like? What are you talking about? Well, literally, what are you talking about? So <laughs> here we go. Here it is from the Fred blog. That's a great name. A Thanksgiving dinner serving of poultry costs a dollar forty two. A soybean based dinner serving with the same amount of calories costs 60 cents, 66 cents and provides almost twice as much protein. Like, since when are we are we taking dietary advice from the Federal Reserve? So sorry about that rant, guys. Um, I'm a little frustrated with the Federal Reserve because these central bankers sit there with their textbooks all day long and they say, well, this should be here. The, the book says this. Well, guess what? We live in the real world, guys. And inflation is hurting your everyday consumer. They're hurting the people that go out to work every single day and then have to come back and buy a gallon of milk when they don't even know it's Federal Reserve, how much a gallon amount costs because their nanny picks it up for them, all right? So this whole notion that that inflation is good or this money printing is good, it's just a lie. And I know people love to get their stimulus checks and that's fun and that's great, but it's only a short-term fix. It's like taking cocaine. Like you get it, it feels great for a little bit and then you got to deal with the consequences. And unfortunately, we're, we're coming into the consequences in here where... It's going to be really bad as people don't have purchasing power and wages don't go up in the manner that people want to. And this is really setting up. This is not conspiratorial or anything. It's just where the roadmap leads. What happens next is wages need to go up because people say, I'm not working for that amount because my purchasing power is devalued now, right? And so then companies, and to the point of people like Kathy Wood that talk about innovation, 
companies will innovate so they don't need the labor, right? Yeah, and they can't afford creates, the labor. That creates a huge issue <laughs> because now, now there's not enough jobs. And this is a farther out projection, um, but this is where I kind of see things going. And, you know, from our standpoint, we can look and say, okay, well, we want to own these companies. And that's the other cynical thing is that assets go up when inflation goes up. So if you own a home and the cost of everything, including housing is going up, well, your home increases in value. But guess what? If you don't own anything, if you're on the lower end of the income distribution, you're screwed. You're just getting screwed. Like your wages are not going up proportionately with your cost of living. And so now your money is worth less. You're earning the same amount of it and you don't have anything to show for it. So it's just, I mean, it's great for all of us who have assets, but for people in the lower end of the income spectrum, uh, it's, it's just, it's just shitty. Yeah. That's like uh, my, uh, and you know, they, they, I, they, they probably won't listen to this. So it doesn't matter, but my roommates on the other side of this duplex, um, two of them work at target. The other one doesn't work. He goes to AM. and um, but you know, them, them two working at target, they make $15 an hour. Right. And that's that pretty good. Like, good. like growing up, if you made 15 bucks an hour, you're, you're pretty killing it. Like you, yeah. you were making some good money. <laughs> and yeah. uh, that's some Texas talk right there, bro. And, and so like now I, I remember I got laid off at the airport and I was making 12 bucks an hour as a line service technician. Now, after COVID, that entry level position is $17. And now 17, 17 to $20, something like that. Same, same position about a year later. And, but like what they don't realize, you know, now their tank of gas has doubled, right? Yeah. You know, their, their eggs have gone up, you know, a, a, a percent, their milk has gone up a, a percent, their meat has gone up a, a percent. So now instead of me spending hundred bucks a week at the, at the grocery store, I'm spending 120, you know, it's small, it's small, but you know, next, next year is 140 and the next year is 160. If you're, if you don't get a raise every year of 20, 30%, well then you're losing. Yeah. Right. I completely agree with you though. Cause it's, it's only the people in the lower income brackets are the ones that are getting screwed because inflation for someone with lots of disposable or discretionary income is an extra 800 to 1200 bucks a year. Like it's no big deal. But when somebody's living paycheck to paycheck or not even paycheck to paycheck, doesn't have to be something like that. Even slightly above median income in the country, those small differences, because there's such a larger percentage of your disposable income, like they hurt them the most. And one of the things I read today that you guys remind me of when you're talking about this was um, from the lead lag report, which is somebody I follow on Twitter for a bunch of stuff. And they said that um, the real transfer of wealth comes not from taxes because he was referring to another tweet where someone's like saying tax the rich. And he was saying, what we need to do is shift the balance of power from assets to income again, if we're going to fix this problem. And the, I don't know, that just reminded me a lot of that. What, what does he mean by shift the balance from assets to income? Like, what is, what does that mean? What I think he's referring to is right now, since we are in such an easing period, inflation's running rampant. And, but if we were to raise rates, all of a sudden your income would become more important. Yeah. What, what, he's saying, explain it better than me. what I think he's saying by that is right now you have assets moving up in value. Correct. So people who are owners of assets are increasing their overall net worth. Whereas on the income spectrum, it's not moving as fast. So it's just, it's income versus it's proportional, yeah. And so the market is, is moving higher, but people's incremental wages are not moving at the same level. And this is, this is an argument that the MMT crowd, modern monetary theory crowd makes a lot. Um, and what they, what they say, not on the taxes standpoint, what they say is, well, we just need to, we don't actually have debt. That's not really a real thing. Um, we can just give money to the people and everything's going to be fine. And we'll use taxes as a lever to ratchet the kind of companies we want to have and encourage and the kind of companies that we want to bring down. So you would raise taxes on oil and gas companies because they don't like them. And you would lower taxes on green carb, you know, green um, focused companies, Tesla, Plug, Lucid, et cetera. 
so the argument doesn't really work. This is not what I'm going on a tangent now about the money printing side. So not exactly what Zach's talking about. Um, but you have to find a balance of income and assets because just printing money and giving it to people and saying, hey, here's your new income doesn't work because again, it continues to inflate those asset prices. <laughs> so it's actually counterproductive. It works for a little while. Again, like cocaine for the people. You give it to them for a little while, everybody feels great, that's good, but then reality sets in and things come crashing again. So we have to find this balance of wages um, and frankly demand more on the wage front or else people's incremental ability to spend and live the life that they wanna live is gonna be diminished. Yeah, we, we touched on wages, we touched on employment very briefly at one point. One thing that's interesting to me is you had mentioned that a lot of places are raging starting wages to get people to come work because but why why do we think we're seeing like rates at which people are quitting their job skyrocket relative to what they were at before especially with all these wage increases people are quitting a lot faster um i i don't think it's necessarily that people are quitting us that they're not coming back to work okay yeah that's that's yeah that's what i mean so that um that's caused a lot by um, new businesses opening and during the pandemic. So people, you know, couldn't, couldn't go to work and so they had to, they had to innovate, right? They had to find something to do. So you saw a massive amount of new businesses opening. Granted, there were a lot of fraudulent businesses opening um, to try and take advantage of all of the free money, quote unquote, to support businesses. There was a lot of people who took advantage of that system, but Regardless of that, there was a lot of new businesses that were formed who now need more labor. <laughs> you right. have a new business, you scale it. Now you need employees. So you take one person out of the workforce and then they may take two or three more. Um, you also saw a lot of people that were in low-skilled labor jobs just retire. So they just retired early. If you're 60 years old and you kind of had you know, your retirement job working at Kohl's as a cashier, just because you're a greeter because you wanted to see people during the pandemic you're like you know what this just isn't worth it <laughs> like i i don't need that 11 an hour job now it's 15 but still like i don't i don't need that job so they're just not coming back to the workforce so we had something like three million people retire early in america during the course of the pandemic really Damn. so I, when that's well, sorry continue continue no 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 i was just gonna say i feel like one of the coolest things about humans is that we're so adaptable but to our detriment sometimes you throw everyone inside for a year and a half, and now a lot of people prefer it when that would never have been the case. If, so, if someone walked up to you before you ever heard the word COVID and said, yeah, in like a two years, you're going to actually want to just sit in your house as much as possible. But a lot of people, I feel like it's almost gone to two extremes. I feel like you see a lot of people have taken it as like an opportunity to like, do something like you said whether fraudulent or not like start a business and a lot of people have like sunk into this like mindless days almost yeah i think it was also an awakening or a cultural shift where i completely agree with you on the some people have just grown comfortable like i just want to be inside but i don't know that that's a majority i no. think i think there are some people that's happened but i think a lot of people just woke up because you get this routine right and you don't really think about how you should be treated better or how your job sucks. But when you're forced to not go to work and then the government puts you on its tip for, you know, nine months, then you're kind of like, you know what? You were in this groove where your whole life you just worked, worked, worked and, you know, get drunk on Friday night, go to work on Monday and like just the same routine. But now there's been a whole shift, a whole paradigm shift. And you're like, you know what? That job really sucked like i don't want to go back there and if that means i gotta retire early i'm gonna do that like i can live off of less than i did before because i hate that job so much and so i think that's why you've seen such a shift um from a cultural standpoint and you've seen a lot of people retire early because they don't have meat and this is i think is huge um a quote most men live lives of quiet desperation and I think a lot of people woke up to that. And I don't know if they'll do anything about it, but I think a lot of people saw like, I have not, like, this is not the kind of life I want to live. Yep. 
whenever it's interesting, whenever I travel and we take Ubers or Lyfts, um, you know, five years ago, you know, they were just innovating and, and coming into the work to the, to the economy. And, um, you know, you, you find people who Uber on the side or, you know, they do Lyft, you know, just part-time on the weekends or whatever. And now almost every single one of the Lyfts or Ubers I take, they are full-time Uber and Lyft because they said, man, screw that down to five. It's not worth it. I can go make 75% of the money that I was making at the full-time job, but now I have control of my own schedule. I can do whatever I want, whenever I want. And, you know, because I'm making a little bit less money, I have to be a little bit more frugal, but I can do whatever I want. And so it doesn't matter. Dude, I, so I door dashed when I lived back at home and that was after I had worked like a, when I was end of high school, like early, early college, like worked in a pizza place or something or a restaurant. Once DoorDash came around, I, I, that's exactly what happened. Like I totally accepted that I made like $70 less every week, but the whole fact that it wasn't like I have to dread that one hour of time right before you go into work. So you're not productive at all. Cause you're like, ah, I'm not going to do anything. I have an hour till work. And then the last 10 minutes, you just hate your life. And then you have to go into work, not having like that experience every day easily made it worth it. But the one, I mean, I would, there's a good and a bad side to people switching to more gig economy things. And Sam, I would love to hear your take about whether you think the gig economy is going to continue to grow or not. Um, I think, I think the good thing is that it opened the door for a lot of people to be more financially conscious because they were making less. But since like now they took their work into their own hands, they're paying more attention to how much money they make because it's in their face. I feel like a lot of people started to budget more that do those types of things. And then the bad side is, yeah, there's people who are like, get better lazy basically. And they're like, oh, this is an easy mindless job I can do. And I don't have to leave my house either, but there's two sides to everything. And I, it's all about the person. I don't think you can say a majority of people will go either way. It's all about how that person is. Yeah, I would, I would agree completely. I think there's pros and cons, like you said. I think you have to take more personal responsibility in that type of economy. Um, and there was a lot of arguments against the DoorDash, Uber, the whole gig economy saying that workers didn't have any ability to price their labor and, you know, they weren't making hardly anything, et cetera, et cetera. But then we've seen through this year, like, I don't know if you've Ubered recently, but it's a lot more expensive than it was last year. Hell yeah. It's, it's like $80 sometimes to Uber. Exactly. So here's my argument is that they can say that, Oh, these companies, they're running at a loss. They're basically subsidizing taxi, you know, former transportation, um, third-party transportation. The reality is their prices have to go up too. And I think they're a lot more reflexive to supply demand imbalances, i.e. inflation. So to put this in layman's terms, uh, they respond to price changes a lot faster than other companies are able to do in the gig economy. Like, they're so data dependent, Uber, Lyft, et cetera, on what's moving the markets. And they're so algorithmically based. Like that's why you have a change in prices for surge. They can tell how much traffic is on the road and it changes instantaneously. Whereas if you're at a taxi, like you just have, you may have a price change every two quarters or something like they go up 50 cents yeah. a mile. They're not changing instantaneously. So I think that some of some of the gig economy does respond a lot better to price changes. So well, I think that's a good thing. In, but I, I think it also requires, by its very nature, people to take responsibility into their own hands, which you guys know me, I'm a huge fan of personal responsibility. So I, I actually, I like the gig economy. Whenever I was in Vegas, um, me and Chad were walking down and we're trying to find an Uber. Um, and I, we were going not very far, but... You know, it was, it was like $19 for an Uber for a five-minute ride. And um, I was like, oh, that's not that bad. Well, then... But Chad bitched about that. <laughs> well, he lets me handle all that. He's like, if I don't see it, it's not there kind of thing. Um, so whenever we did that, we, we walked down the street or something a little bit going to get to the Uber. And then I checked it again, and I hadn't confirmed it. Well, the price had jumped $11 in the last five, like five minutes. And so now it was 30 bucks and a surge had just started and we had to pay it. But, uh, I think, I think part of that is, you know, the surge plus some drivers, you know, not, not, not enough drivers. And so Uber will offer the drivers more. Well, then it's just 
announces back to the consumer because the yeah. consumer needs the ride, but the driver doesn't want to drive unless you're getting paid more. Dude, for me, it's gotten to the point where I like, I hate taking an Uber. Like before I was like, oh, I'll pay 20 bucks for a ride. But when I see that, it's like, so like out here in Boston, especially if it's later in the night, a 20 minute drive can cost you over a hundred dollars. <laughs> Holy crap. So like for me, I don't need like, I'm completely shut off to Uber and Lyft unless it's a situation where for some reason, like you need to Uber or Lyft, like it's your only method of transportation. But for, I don't know about other people. Like, for, I, like, I don't even look at it anymore as an option. Huh. Interesting. Well, and if enough people go that way, then they're going to have to bring the prices back down. <laughs> but, but to the point, like, it's, it's pure supply and demand. And they're able to change their prices a lot more. I still don't like them as businesses. I think they're, they're losing so much money um, and can ultimately be taken over by um, automatic driving. And I think that's, I think that's where it's going to go. Yeah. I think Uber one day would buy like Hertz did a bunch of Tesla's and then have full self-driving Uber. Yeah. But why would, why would Tesla not just launch their own fleet? Why can't, why they could do that, but then why wouldn't Uber try and I, I guess I see your point. I don't know. Like Tesla can say, we're not selling you our cars. We're just going to have our own. We're going to take over all, all self-driving in the U.S. Think they would do that though? I don't know. We're we're just speculating. Yeah, we're just shooting the shit now. I don't know. I don't think so. I feel like I feel like they're going to see a few companies follow Hertz footsteps. Yeah. Oh, I think so too. Now, I mean, even Hertz is like doing the commercials about it and stuff. Oh, you got Tom Brady on there now. Yeah, I know. What are they doing? Uh, commercials about their all-electric fleets. They, they bought a hundred k Teslas basically over time. Oh, oh they yeah, that's, a, right, that's right, that's right, that's right. They've got a contract to to have a hundred thousand made. I got you. I love how how Elon gets on there, anyways, though, and it's like, yeah, they're not getting any special pricing there. Just so y'all know. That was my favorite part about the whole thing. He was like, okay, no discount. That, that's <laughs> he's like, you, we have more demand than we can build for, so. Uh, you guys are not getting a discount, just so you know. No discount, damn. <laughs> no, he's like, there's no, there's no quantity discount, guys. Like, we can't build enough fast enough. So how I, I love how Elon goes on there, but it's it is coming obvious. Like, uh, you see all the problems the Rivian cars were having already. Oh yeah. And then like the Ford Mach E, like I, that had a little blip of popularity, but that was because somebody probably paid them to do a ton of commercials, and I saw more commercials. Well, never- Ford Ford just canceled their. Uh, contract with Rivian. Yeah. To really? me, the only other vehicle that has the same like sex appeal as the Tesla so far is the Lucid cars. Yep. Yeah. They're nice. Dude, don't they have more range too? I mean, I think that's yeah. projected, yeah. They're not as fast, but they have more. Well, they've delivered already. Yeah. They've delivered some. I'm trying to find this. I know that I know that they're back ordered right now. I think they had just had a bunch of orders come in and they were like uh, we can't like well, yeah I, the, that was that was my question my question was going to be how come they can't produce on a mass amount scale like i mean obviously it hasn't been it hasn't been a long time since they've been you know come coming into you know what i mean um but how come they can't produce at the scale they need to i really so, tesla oh yeah no go yeah for tesla it. lucid rivian whoever all right so guys i have a big a big secret for you. I know not many people in the market. Tesla is a car company. I know that's I know that's crazy, um, but they they build cars. All right. Now they're priced like they build some kind of code that makes you a god, but they don't do that. They build cars. <laughs> and you know what you have to do to build cars? You got to have a shit ton of facts. The other thing about factories is like they're hard to build, they're complicated, they have a lot of issues, and distribution becomes an issue. Like you're an industrial company, right? At the end of the day. And I think that's what so many people glossed over about these companies, Lucid, Tesla. Scaling cars is hard. Like it's that's just how simple it is. It's like it's a whole ass two to three ton piece of moving metal. And now that these ones can send you software updates, drive themselves. Like it's not just like putting together some Lincoln logs. Like, <laughs> well, that, like the, 
the whole updates thing and like self-driving, all that is cool and badass, and that's what everybody focuses on. But yeah. at the end of the day, you still have to be able to build the goddamn car. <laughs> like it's not it's not easy to put together this massive hunk of, of carbon and metal, right? Like it takes a lot to put that together. And guess what? Companies don't have big margins. That and that's the that's the key. Ford, Volkswagen, all of these companies make a ton of cars because they have distribution in place and they've they've got built out factories. But it takes a long time for these companies to build those out. Like Ford's been in business for 100 years, right? They've had some time to build things they out. They invented the damn factory, basically. Like they they invented the assembly line. Yeah, that was Henry Ford's whole contribution. And so that's kind of the dirty little secret here is it's like you can have as much demand as you want, but you still have to build the things, yeah. right? And yeah. look, there was a recent survey taken that said something like people, which is pretty high, right? And so there's going to be a lot of demand there. You still have to be able to um, manufacture it. I think too, like a, a lot of the Tesla competitors or a lot of the Tesla bulls, I should say, don't realize that this demand is going to spill over into their competitors over time. Like we're going to reach a point where people are going to want electric cars more and more, regardless if it's a Tesla or not. So they're just going to be like, okay, well, if I can't get your stupid car, like I'll go buy a different one. Yeah. Cause right now it's, you know, it's the only one that I could, that I could go purchase right now that I know of is Tesla. You know, I, mean, I, I could go to Ford and yeah. maybe get the Mach E, but like Tesla is the most, you know, available. That's what I mean. Those things still seem like concept cars. I mean, I know I'm speaking completely incorrect, but like in my head, when I think about like when you have like brand recall, you have like the immediate option and then like the ones that are like, oh, yeah, I know about those. Maybe I'll choose those. Like in my head, Tesla's still like you say electric car, Tesla. You tell you say I'm a consumer and then you say to me like a Ford or Polestar or something like that. I'm like, oh, yeah, like they do that. But it's just not what I'm thinking about at first. Well, yeah, and I think to your argument about competition, people often make the argument that this could be like the Apple of cars. And I think that's fundamentally flawed and it misunderstands human psychology. So you have your phone, right? Like, okay, maybe when I get a new phone, I go and tell people, and I'm like, hey, look at this cool phone I have. You know, I got a new iPhone. But it's not something that you like, hold out you know it's not like you have it on like a watch right it's not a part of your identity really other than that little blue you know have an apple because you like the little blue thing uh the messages but cars are a huge piece of people's identity and they've been cultural for for forever and so i just really don't buy the argument that you're going to have a whole fleet of offerings and that's all yeah, I mean, they have Model Y, you know, T, et cetera. But I just don't, I don't buy the... I'm sorry, Teslas are kind of ugly. Well, and that's the point. It's like everyone had, even if I were to say, man, I think Tesla's the best looking car. Okay, well, there you have two split consumers. <laughs> like we a, never discussed if an iPhone was better than a Galaxy. Okay, on a car... You're telling me you would rather have like a, a Model S to like a Taycan Turbo... Like yeah, Porsche. like that thing that car is sexy it looks mean it's a damn porsche the that's what, like the whole point of buying a porsche is you get the emblem like you become like you own a porsche like congratulations and then like but it's a tesla to me it's always gonna be like thought of as like yeah they make the same exact ugly ass stupid bland interior <laughs> ladies and gentlemen my case in point right here <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's like me. I, I, I would go buy a CTSV supercharged Cadillac all day long before I went and bought a, a, a Tesla because CTSV looks mean. It's got a, a supercharged engine. You can put a really nice exhaust and go vroom, vroom. And I don't really care that Tesla is faster off the line. Yeah. It, the Cadillac looks cooler. It feels cooler. It's classier. It sounds better. And it, it just looks, it just, it's a Cadillac. It's Cadillac, you know? It's a Cadillac. It's a Cadillac. <laughs> just look at it. <laughs> look at it. Just look at it. I, to, I mean, also, like, I don't care if you're fast off the line. You Just tune your car. Boom, I'm faster than you, Tesla. Like, Vroom Vroom still wins. Bop, bop, bop with the downpipe. Uh, I mean, Tesla, Tesla wins 
in speed? Uh, it depends what you're driving it against. Zero to 60? Well, I mean, not tuned. Like, tuned vehicle. Tuned vehicle. Yeah, but I, it's the fastest off the line. So, yeah, you can pay a lot for, for a tuned-up vehicle. Or, and I don't know. Can... I've never seen a Tesla. I mean, I guess. No, I mean, yeah. Teslas just aren't fun. Nobody wants to drag race in a Tesla. It doesn't make any noise. <laughs> you can't even drive manual. Not even an option. There's no gearbox. There's almost nobody. So the Model S Plaid is zero to sixty in one point nine seconds. One point nine eight seconds. Yeah. That's What's the dumb. only car that beat that? What is it called? Like the Rimac or something? Rimac Navera. Uh, I don't think. No, this will be the fastest. It hasn't come out yet. It's the Plaid. Oh, doesn't even exist. <laughs> <laughs> It exists. They, it's been tested. You can look up on YouTube and see the speed. It's just not uh, being produced. Yeah. <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Fair. Fair. I was gonna buy one. God damn it. I mean, dude, I, dude, I, I, I would. I would too. I'd go buy one too. But I'm oh, just gonna buy it to roll around. This is dope. I would probably purchase one in my lifetime, to be honest with you. But if I had so much money that I could choose from all these cars, a Tesla just wouldn't be what I would choose if I'm paying like a hundred plus K. Would I buy I would rather buy like a Model 3 to like have the practicality That's the of the ugliest one. What are you talking about? Bro, just have like if I'm buying an electric car, it's for practicality, not for looks. I thought you were just talking about the new Porsche. That's what I'm saying. Hey, if you, I'm need get your, you need to get your stuff straight. You're getting Bro, real listen on me this. over here. If I'm going to spend over 100K, I'm not buying a Tesla. But if I'm buying a daily driver, I'll buy a Tesla. All right. All right. Fair. Why don't you just buy a bike? A bike? It's I forget you friendly. bike across the whole state of Montana like every other weekend. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. I got to get back on that. Training starts oh. again tomorrow. Oh, boy. I'm back to having no life. Back to having no life. I mean, I don't have much. I'm sitting here talking to both of you guys on a Sunday night, so I don't know what that says about my life right now. Hey, man, that's not a bad thing. <laughs> no, bad thing. it's. I mean, I wouldn't do anything else. This is my my favorite thing to do: is sit and talk markets. He'd be in the he'd be in the office looking at market articles anyway. <laughs> well, that's what I'm doing, literally. <laughs> <laughs> I'm already doing it. But y'all got anything else? I think I'm good, man. Let's make some money this week. There Don't we buy go. a Tesla. Make some money this week. <laughs> Trying to make Save some your money. Gains, buy a bike instead of a Tesla. That's our takeaway from today. Yep. CTSV. Just look at it. It's just a Cadillac. <laughs> uh, what can I say? <laughs> All right, boys. I appreciate you. All right, you boys. All right All later. Right. See you guys. Fuck what they talk about. I've been getting my cake and running wild since a little child. Yeah, getting it every day. I'm working sun up till the sun down. Yeah, I'm getting it every day. These niggas hating, trying to see how I do this shit. Bitch, I'm not new.